This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Each week we preview and review the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Ed Moyer in New York and Craig Earlham in London. And it is a very good afternoon to you chaps. Good afternoon. How's it going? Very good. I want to start with you, Ed, and get the USA perspective. What was your moment of the week? I think for me, the moment had to be uh, in the beginning. We had a ton of optimism that came from uh, just a, a wave of global reopenings across the world. And we had the EU recovery fund that was taking form. And, and, and we had a, a big rotation out of uh, U.S. stocks from technology to pretty much everything that was battered throughout this uh, coronavirus pandemic. And, and, and now we, uh, we're pretty much seeing that there's a, a, a little lack of momentum here to take U.S. equities higher, global equities for that. Um, and it's mainly because that you're having the two world's largest economies um, kind of resume their spat and and you're going to probably continue to see a tit-for-tat response with with china and the u.s as far as what has developed out of hong kong what has happened with the phase one trade deal and there's continued optimism i think that you're going to have more stimulus from all the central banks uh, across the world so um, i think i think that um, many investors have abandoned that call for a retest of the March 23rd low. And, and now you're starting to see that, uh, you know, if if there's there's a ton of money that was on the sidelines that never got into the stock market rally, and now you're looking for excuses, reasons why you're going to see uh, risk appetite leave. Uh, and uh, I think uh, traders are, are looking to see, well, how much how much downward pressure are we going to get from these escalating Chinese U.S. tensions? And and uh, right now it it just seems that uh, the stimulus trade is still intact. And and right now I think uh, we you know we're we're looking for signs or cues that you know how 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 is how are central banks going to evolve throughout this pandemic and i think the risks still remain there and and that's why we're probably going to continue to see more accommodation and uh that's why uh you're you're having uh the stock 600 still up roughly three percent for the week u.s stocks were up about two percent uh it's been a pretty much a strong week despite you know we're ending on a down note Yes, there's been a lot of optimism around, and uh, as we've seen right across the world, including the United Kingdom and the USA, uh, the loosening of the lockdown uh, continues, and we've had uh, more loosening measures announced over the last couple of days. From next week, uh, people will be able to meet in their back gardens with their friends, and there are, of course, the very important news that retail outlets will be open Uh, non-essential ones from June the 15th, stuff like that. So there is a lot of optimism in the air. Craig, just to go back to the Chinese story, any listeners who haven't been following the spat between China and the USA this week over Hong Kong, can you explain um, a little bit more? Yeah, well, I mean, it all, I mean, I say it all comes down to the introduction of Hong Kong into this spat is just another another element of what is was already becoming uh, an increasing spat between the US and China once again which started again with the coronavirus pandemic if we take ourselves back to December i think donald trump wanted nothing more than a very quiet 2020 he'd got his phase 1 trade deal over the line he wanted a comprehensive one he settled for a phase 1 because he knew he was going into an election year and he needed something and that comprehensive wasn't going to be 
doable. The economy was roaring. Unemployment was at multi-decade lows. So I think he wanted nothing more than a quiet 2020. He wanted, he wanted a year of campaigning. He wanted a year of telling everyone just how great life is. And when we spoke around the end of last year, we were talking about how... Uh, how it was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to win this election. Everything has changed since then. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic hit. The US has recently seen uh, their death tally, their death toll go above 100,000. We're now in many parts of the world uh, in the most severe recession in a century. And this has completely changed the dynamic of this entire presidential election. So we started to see a big change in the way that uh, Donald Trump was addressing the coronavirus pandemic uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, calling it uh, the very much referencing the fact that this is China's fault and the fact that this is something that has been mishandled at the early stages and that the rest of the world is paying for. Um, and he, we, we've obviously all seen plenty of uh, examples of that. And this seems to be the next evolution of that. It seems that this has then evolved into many spats between the US and China. And very much the the, the, the rhetoric from the, the Trump administration has been very anti-China uh, throughout this. And that seems to be something that, as we've said on previous podcasts, is going to continue through now to the uh, election in November. Now, in the last week or so, this has uh, moved on to Hong Kong. I think we spoke about on the podcast last week about the uh, national security uh, law which was being proposed uh, in in Beijing. Uh, the National People's Congress voted on this yesterday. Only one person voted against, six abstained, but the the almost entire majority then backed this uh, this bill. And this is a bill that effectively doesn't need that, that will not be approved in Hong Kong itself. So this is seen as being an example now of the fact that. Hong Kong is no longer an autonomous region. And that, that's important because for a country like the US, uh, Hong Kong has a special status. It means that it's separate from China, despite being technically a, a Chinese territory. It means it gets different rules with respect to tariffs, with respect to uh, the, its entire trade relationship. Uh, and therefore, because, this is the, because of this change, it's deemed to have lost this this element of autonomy. We don't know how the future relationship between the U.S. and Hong Kong is going to uh, and Hong Kong is going to be. But it's not just the U.S. and Hong Kong. Many countries, uh, including Japan, the U.K., and others, over the last couple of days, have spoken out about uh, this this law which was passed in China uh, this week. Uh, and I think this is going to escalate into something more. But as far as the U.S. is concerned, this is just another reason, really, for uh, the Trump administration to really. Uh, to intensify its uh, its its relationship with China, and that now just looks certain to continue over the next few months. Because uh, uh, and as we saw last year, when we see these kind of flare-ups between the world's two largest economies, it does create this element of uncertainty and it does create this element of kind of fear for the markets. But now we're not doing it against the backdrop of the strongest economy that we've seen in more than a decade. We're doing this against the backdrop of the weakest economy we may have seen in almost a century. So that, that really changes the dynamic and it creates an additional complication. As Ed said, this is a stock market that's backed by un, unprecedented amounts of monetary stimulus, which does have a massive impact on, on how this is viewed from a market's perspective. But from a purely global perspective and from a political perspective going into that election in November, it, it does make things uh, even more interesting and it does also create the possibility that we are going to see an enormous escalation because whatever Trump announces, and we should state that we are recording this prior to the actual announcement on Friday, 
whatever Trump's announced, there's very little chance that China isn't going to respond. And we've seen how this goes before with this kind of tit-for-tat um, sanctions or tit-for-tat tariffs as it was before between the two. This has the possibility to to become something much greater between these two countries. And it's very much almost in Trump's favor to to allow that to happen because um, because of the, the what what the view he's kind of taken towards China since this pandemic started. Yeah, it's important for him to create a bogeyman in the situation to direct people away from any blame on him or his administration as far as the number of mortalities within this uh, pandemic. And he certainly had some success doing that. Ed, we had a raft of figures from the US this week. First up, the second reading for GDP during the first quarter was even worse than the first. The latest figures say the US economy shrunk at 5% in the first three months of the year. That's slightly worse than economists had expected. Another 2.1 million Americans filed for unemployment benefit last week, bringing the total since the start of COVID-19 to over 40 million. But there was some uh, positivity from those figures. For the first time since the pandemic began, continuing claims which tally ongoing benefit claims fell, which suggests the labour market is starting to rebound as businesses open. And we've seen that over here in the United Kingdom. Um, There is... Certainly the momentum now for business to reopen. And we'll talk to him in a minute about the uh, new announcements from the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, on the furloughing scheme and the self-employed and so on. But I just wanted to get an overview from you, Ed, about those figures, GDP, uh, unemployment and so on. Yes, very much. I think you're you're right that uh, the U.S. had uh, a, a lot of uh, big data releases this week, and uh, the the key takeaway is that you're you're, you're starting to see. Uh, the, you know, I think everyone's going to believe that May is the bottom. This is when we're going to start to see the U.S. economy turn around, and it's all because of the reopening of the economy. I think uh, the jobless claims uh, number we're we're still seeing you know roughly two million initial claims, but that that key move is that continuing claims did drop. That first drop during this uh, coronavirus period, and 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 this is going to be uh, something that I think you're going to probably continue to uh, I think weigh on the outlook. You know, uh, labor destruction is 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 going to be a big headache for the uh, U.S. economic outlook. And and right now, I think uh, when we take a look at what was also released today was that uh, record fall in consumer spending. That was the second consecutive record decline. And uh, you know, much of the U.S. economy is the cons- U.S. consumer, and if that consumer is weak, uh, you're going to, you know, see, um, uh, I think, a little uh, discretionary spending, and, and that's going to uh, ultimately drag down the economy. Uh, but there is, you know, signs that there is optimism. I think the GDP data, uh, pretty much people are, you know, moving past that, and, and everyone is focused on, you know, one, you know, how, how bad is, is uh, the uh, consumer going to be, and, and everyone's looking for, uh, are, are we starting to see all these stimulus programs uh, in place? Are they starting to really make a dent in, 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 uh, in saving jobs? And as the U.S. economy uh, starts to, to reopen, um, even in New York City, we're starting, you know, they're, they're, they're expecting to, to have a lot of the city open up in the next two weeks. So that, that momentum is going to continue. And, uh, you know, I think uh, for, for the most part, uh, Unless we see uh, another wave of uh, a second peak um, in, in, the, in the coming weeks, uh, you know, the, the outlook is still going to uh, be slightly more positive. Um, but I, I think when you take a look at, um, you know, what's happened on the, the social distancing, uh, you know, 
side of things. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of coverage as far as how Americans have rushed to the beaches. You're seeing um, um, protests um, uh, start to em emerge here across the uh, big cities and also Minneapolis. And, and you're, you're, you're seeing a lack of social distancing practice. So are we going to see another wave? I think uh, a big part of the medical community is concerned that uh, there, there is going to be uh, uh, spikes in new cases. And, and uh, that is going to test these uh, governors for these states because they're going to have to decide, you know, are they going to have to tighten their, their grips on these uh, lockdown um, um, measures? And, and if that's the case, you know, I think that no one is really pricing in a, a little disruption here with the reopening plan of the economy. So if that starts to fall, that will weigh on the outlook. So I think, I think you, you're, you're seeing better data. And I think uh, going forward, um, everyone is anticipating that the, 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 you know, we're through the worst of it. So May data is going to start to show the, the turnaround for the U.S. economy. I get the feeling that we may even be sort of following the Swedish model now, perhaps uh, sort of three months overdue for some people, but not for others, in that uh, we are willing to allow some level of pandemic uh, to exist across the board in both uh, United States and the UK and maybe some other countries as well, providing that the economy gets back on an even keel because there's a realisation this cannot go on uh, forever, this level of lockdown, because in the end, more people will die, more people will be sick, more people will you know, uh, become unemployed uh, if you carry on beyond the sort of three, four months that uh, we were talking about before. And they're, in, in a sense, what the governments of both those countries are doing as almost a level of acceptance that, yes, there will be the occasional spike, but what is a worse scenario? I wanted to quickly ask you, Craig, about today's announcement from Rishi, Sun Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, he has thrown a financial lifeline to millions of workers after the government extended its support scheme for the self-employed by three months. I know he was under a lot of pressure, wasn't he, to extend that uh, scheme for the self-employed because anyone who's uh, who's waged... As a PAYE, pay-as-you-earner in this country, uh, was given a lifeline and that was extended to uh, August. He's also said that workers uh, will be uh, part of the scheme that actually reduces the amount of furlough support. And it will be, I think, 60% rather than 80%. So um, a, a bit of a mixed bag from Chancellor Rishi Sunak. But nonetheless, he has thrown that lifeline to the self-employed. Yeah, I mean, I think he's trying to manage this situation as it evolves, and it's really difficult to do. We None of us knew how this was going to evolve three months ago. There was estimates out there, there was guesses, there was pub chat, but there wasn't really any conviction because we were dealing with something that we haven't dealt with before, and the same is very much true now. The important thing that we have to see from Rishi Sunak, from our government, from uh, from the U.S., from France, Germany, everywhere. We have to see flexibility. We have to see this willingness to adapt to the situation as it evolves. And it's going to evolve more and more as the, as the months go by. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave. We assume there will be. We don't know how bad that will be. So there has to be adaptability there. We don't know if there's going to be another lockdown. We hope there isn't going to be. Trump has suggested that there won't be in the US no matter what. But I imagine that will change, obviously, depending on uh, on how how bad the situation gets. And ultimately, it's always going to be uh, a situation where you weigh up the economic versus uh, the number of people dying. And that's not something you ever want to do. It's not a decision that I would like to make. But unfortunately, the former is also extremely important. 
a lot of people right now, rather than using just the measures of the people who've died from coronavirus, we're seeing a lot more talk now about the, the excess deaths, the people who have died either directly or indirectly from the coronavirus, which is obviously much higher than just the direct uh, deaths itself. But at some point in the future, we're going to evolve that even more, and even that's going to be viewed as a crude measure because there's going to be what what impact it had on mental health, what 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 impact it has had on the NHS from that perspective, what what impact has it had on uh, I don't know obesity, what what impact has it had on, on on people's way of lives. There's going to be many different ways that we're going to measure the harmful impact of the coronavirus, and ultimately that comes down to whether you're in severe lockdown or whether you are reopening the economy. Right now, we are focused on one thing, it seems, but there is going to be many more ways to measure it so well no one is saying that gdp is more important than people's lives uh, unfortunately it is still extremely important so weighing these things up when you're making these decisions is important uh, the support is what really matters at this point so when you're referencing there about the self-employment that's extremely important and i think what was announced today i was watching this just before the po- podcast started I think they've kind of they've they've adopted a quite a, a sensible measured approach. They are very very gradually reducing the support that government is offering. They do, what they don't want is at the end of all of this that companies say, right now you're just ending this scheme in August. We now have to let these people go anyway, just because we're not up to 100%. And if we're not up to 100%, we can't retain 100% of staff. So by giving businesses the the option and the possibility to only be paying 20% salary, I think by the end of September. That's their way of saying this is an investment and the only way that we can ensure this investment actually uh, offers a return is if we slow this gradually, is if we pair this back very gradually. So I think what they're doing right now is it seems quite sensible, but like as I say, this is a very uh, unpredictable uh, situation and because of that, as long as all of these governments remain adaptable and they've all got different tactics for how they're going to get through this and it's hard not to look to Germany when you are... Uh, when you're talking about this because they have handled this situation so well you, you, you've got to remain flexible because this I, I feel that we feel like we're kind of getting to grips with this situation now and I feel like there's a lot of uh, things that are going to surprise us now over the next three or four months just as we start to feel confident that we're kind of returning to what's deemed the new normal but I think everyone kind of has their eyes set on the old normal if that makes sense. I think most people agree Craig I'd like to get your thoughts on this uh, compared to say the way this crisis has been run by the UK government in terms of the health situation, the medical situation, the science, um, the economics and Chancellor Sunak's right at the top of the tree as far as this is concerned has been probably handled as well as it could have been. Um, Am I correct in saying that? Is that the general view from the city and uh, most of the financial bodies? I mean, uh, without wishing to sound crude, he has had a good pandemic, hasn't he, Mr Sunak? This has been the most difficult introduction I'm sure any Chancellor has had in living memory uh, going back to the wars. And I think the the response, most people will agree, has been extremely good. Uh, When I'm watching different channels, when I'm looking at Twitter, when I'm reading different media publications... People are not complaining about the government's response to the pandemic in terms of their fiscal response. No one is saying that they've not done enough. The criticism has purely come from how long it took them to lock down. So that would suggest that people broadly agree that the fiscal response has been adequate and generous and supportive and that it has uh, mediated the situation. It has created a situation in which the economy can recover rather than go into a, a, a 
very deep recession, probably a depression. Unfortunately, like I say, the the there's always going to be criticism. That that's the world we live in, and the the criticism very much is being hit squarely with. And the US, I'm sure Ed will agree, is being hit with the same, and I'm sure some others are being hit with the same as well. We had longer to respond uh, to this than say Italy did. Italy was obviously one of the first countries that was hit quite badly. We had longer to prepare and plan, and we were among the countries that took longer to go into lockdown and now there's a lot more so so a lot of the kind of scathing uh response and the backlash has come from the decision to do to to hold off on that from the purely fiscal side yes i agree i think i'd hate the i hate the term but i agree with it rishi sunak has had a good pandemic yeah um you mentioned twitter before uh craig and now you're bursting to talk about donald trump's a little spat uh, with Twitter on this, and I'd like to get uh, a bit from Craig as well. But, uh, you know, he he sort of took to the airwaves, really, to criticise, or social media, to criticise Twitter more than he did China uh, towards the end of the week. What is that all about, Ed? I, I think you're, you're starting to see that uh, uh, the president is... Uh, um, doing what he does best and right now he is trying to take the focus away from uh the attention of um, what COVID 19 has done to um, american lives and the economy and uh, he's uh picking new battles and, and this time he's he's choosing twitter and facebook and i i think that you're 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 probably going to continue to see the president uh, continue to confront these social media platforms um i i think that uh you're 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 probably gonna to see that the expectations are uh, he's going to come down on on Twitter um, and 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 really he's just uh, I, I think the, the the whole the whole story is 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 just a, a temporary dis- distraction I think I think that you're probably going to continue to see uh, um, you know markets just you know kind of just give this a, a glance over and not really put too much weight into it um but but, be it, but yeah but right now trump is uh continuing to to do what he does best and uh, that is uh, uh he's he's uh taking the the focus away from from uh certain stories and, and moving them to others um, before we talk about next week, uh, Craig, I know you wanted to get a word in about the EU and the proposed uh, recovery fund, 750 billion uh, euros, which the markets liked. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- there's a few things with this that's really important. One is the fact that this is the by far and away the largest amount of money that the European Commission is ever going to have raised on behalf of the EU27. So this is very much collective debt sharing, uh, which is something that we haven't seen anywhere near this scale before. The second thing is that this is going to be made up of 500 billion euros in grants and 250 billion euros in loans at this moment in time. The so-called frugal four, uh, which is the Netherlands, Austria, Denmark and Sweden, are very much against offering grants. They think this should all be conducted as loans. So there's many discussions to be had, and I'm sure it's very much going to be around uh, that more so probably than where it's distributed to. But this is a massive, massive step and a massive sea change. One of the reasons why it's such a big, important change is because Germany's on board, which they're usually part of, you could probably, what they would be deemed now as the frugal five. So I think this is a really important shift should it get over the line. 
the the the, the obviously the alternative view is is it enough and how long is it going to take and when's it going to be distributed and is it going to be effective and all of those things I'm probably more along lines of the skeptics about because this is something which is going to be distributed over the next seven years as part of a uh, the EU budget. The EU budget's around 1.1 trillion euros, so this is still a significant amount of money. Uh, how countries apply for it, how they'll be accepted, where it will ultimately, when we view this back in seven years, how much of it will have been distributed out and where to, etc., how effective it's been, uh, it will be very much up to, for discussion. But that's not always the important thing, because the thing we've always talked about in this podcast is what ensures the survival of the EU, what ensures the survival of the Eurozone. And we've seen a massive rise in populism and anti-EU sentiment now uh, for the last few years. The EU came very much at the centre of that. Uh, Obviously, we voted for Brexit a few years ago. And there's been a massive rise across Europe, but there's been a massive rise in populism around the world as well. If the EU gets this wrong, and they still have the potential to do that, if the EU gets this wrong then it could really come back to bite them in a way in, in a manner that's far worse than debt sharing. This is something where you've got um, Italy, which has had, uh, which has seen a massive rise in anti-EU sentiment, where they've had uh, the coalition parties of the left and the right, both anti-EU, um, joining forces, uh, and you've still um, at this got at this point got Matteo Salvini, who is rallying against the EU. Uh, we've got Marine Le Pen in France, and we've got in other countries across the EU as well, where anti-EU sentiment is rising. They have to get this right, because unlike the previous financial crisis, where it was deemed that countries got themselves into this mess and therefore they have to get themselves out, the same is not true here. The reason why Italy has been hit far worse is because it's purely because of bad luck. The reason why uh, someone like Spain has been hit far worse is because of bad luck. Germany has been commended for its handling of the pandemic, but Italy was very much hit first. So the the, the viewpoint the, from a purely political standpoint is not going to be viewed the same way. And if what the view here, I, I think, is going to be, if Europe doesn't step up to protect all members, then they're going to then people are going to a lot on a, on a lot larger scale going to turn around and ask the question, what is the point? Uh, what is the benefit if if we're not in this together? What are we? What are we in together? So uh, I think, from a purely political standpoint, the fact that they've made this—if they can agree on this uh, on on this uh, recovery fund—I think that sends a really strong political message and really goes against uh, those pushing for breakaways from the EU. So I think I think this has been a really important week, and it's not gone under the radar by any stretch of the imagination, as Edda alluded to right at the start of this podcast. It's one of the things which really helped lift markets in the middle towards the latter end of this week. It's not gone under the radar, but when you consider everything that's going on right now, I don't also think it's get, got the attention that it really deserves. And should it get over the line, it probably won't get the attention it deserves. So I think it's a really important point that needs to be made. This is could potentially be a really, really important thing as far as the future of the EU is concerned. Okay, point made very well indeed. Ed, before we let you go, can we have a quick preview to next week? What should we look out for? I think the the main event is is going to be the uh, non-farm payroll report. Uh, so the May jobless rate hopefully will be the peak. Uh, expect you know last month we saw the jobless rate jump to 14.7 percent, which is the highest level since the Great Depression. So uh, expectations are it's going to continue to go higher and it, it's going to possibly hit 19.5 percent. Uh, that's going to be a, a tremendous amount of focus. I think you're going to continue to see though that there is optimism that that is uh, going to be uh, where we start 
start to th see things turn around. Um, uh, there's going to be a lot of key economic data, but uh, for the most part, it's it's going to be heavily focused on jobless claims. Uh, the ISM manufacturing reading um, on on Monday is going to show uh, hopefully some signs of stabilization in manufacturing, uh, and then and then lastly too, I think uh, it's important to. Um, pay special attention uh, this hurricane season. Uh, it officially kicks off. Uh, we already had two storms already that have come and gone. Uh, but uh, this one, this hurricane season is expected to be possibly the one of the most dangerous ones since 2005, which was when we had Hurricane Katrina. Uh, so if you take a look, hurricane season, what could that mean? It could, you know, provide some uh, uh, supply uh, or some disruptions into uh, oil. Um, uh, right now, oil's you know about to finish up its best month ever. Um, it, 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 there, there, there's a lot of risks out there too because um, if we do have um, some states that have to kind of evacuate right now, uh, FEMA is a little bit stretched on as far as their resources, and uh, you could start to see where if you have to have um, you know. You know, big cities uh, have to move. They might have to uh, not be able to. They might not be able to socially distance if they're forced to kind of uh, um, move to somewhere where they have to share uh, space. So there's there's the, there's a big uh, focus on hurricane season coming up, and uh, uh, no, nothing's really on on radar for specifically next week. But it is the official start. Please let's not have hurricane plus pandemic. That really would be a uh, a shocker for so many people, wouldn't it? And uh, as you make a good point about the social distancing and how difficult that would be. Of course, we had some severe floods in the UK just a few weeks uh, before this pandemic uh, started. And that would have been a real problem for the two things that collided. Final word to you, Craig, on next week. Yeah, I think the only thing that's Ed uh, missed off there and left for me, uh, which was good of him, obviously, is the uh, ECB and the meeting that we have next week. Um, it, there's obviously a wide range of views on terms of how this could go in. Last time, no one uh, anticipated the new measures that the central bank announced. And it seems that more and more now, actually, central banks are, are, are delving deep into their toolkit and coming up with uh, very new uh, ways in order to approach this pandemic. But people are anticipating maybe around a 500 billion increase in their quantitative easing program. Whether they do that or something else, I think the, the message is clear that people think there's going to be a be more stimulus, uh, especially as far as the euro area is concerned. So that's something to watch out for on Thursday. And then the riots that we're seeing in Minneapolis right now, this is obviously not a market story. This is um, very much a different story entirely. But the, the question obviously is this is something that Trump has waded into quite heavily on Twitter over the last 24 hours. And in an election year, you do wonder what impact this uh, a situation evolving like this can have on his approval ratings, not just um, in that particular state, but obviously um, given the the sensitivity, sensitivity of the story, you wonder what impact that is going to have uh, with regards to Trump on, on a much broader scale. So that's the only other thing which I think uh, I would highlight uh, as far as um, as things to watch over the next week is concerned. Like I say, I think Ed covered everything else in great detail. Good stuff. Craig Earlham in London, Ed Moyer in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
That was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am, listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.